Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight flight of Harry Potter. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for terrible poets. We don't break ranks for anything, got me? If one of us is killed, the others keep flying. Don't stop. Don't break ranks. If they take out all of us and you survive, Harry, the rear guard are standing by to take over. Keep flying east and they'll join you. Stop being so cheerful, Mad-Eye. You'll think we're not taking this seriously. Mount your brooms. That's the first signal. Yeah, that was bad. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg, one if by land and two if by sea. And I at the North Tower of Hogwarts shall be... One if by land, two if by broom. And I will... Nope, I lost it. <laughs> Hi, this is the Quibbler. That's some uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow for you, right? I don't know. I think it's Longfellow. Okay. You are listening to the Quibble Podcast. We are two weeks in now to Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. This week, the chapters we are reading are The Advanced Guard and Number 12, Grimold Place. In this podcast, you will hear spoilers. You will hear cursing. You will hear some adult themes. This week's adult themes are reintroducers, human shields, changing your look, urban blight, and family feuds. And before I ask you, Alex, what happened this week, I just quickly want to return to a favorite topic from last week's episode, Mrs. Fig, because we got a rad email today, and I just want to quickly read it because it makes some super good points about our dear Mrs. Fig. It's from Josh. Thank you, Josh. He says, shit, how lame is it that Rowling blew the chance to subvert the crazy old cat lady stereotype that sort of desexualizes slash demoralizes any woman wanting to live without men and with cats? Cats who, as shown in Harry Potter, are clearly cooler than any human. In brackets, Heather, would you rather live with Ron or Crookshanks and Mr. Tibbles? Uh, I think you all, <laughs> all know the answer to that question. That is an A-plus rhetorical question. I, I guess it's not really a rhetorical question. No, it's a real question, and the answer is the cats. And I'm not even really a cat person, but my god. Animals over Ron. We're going to be nicer to Ron in this book, actually, because I think there's some there's some good Ron stuff. Anyway, I don't like how Mrs. Fig is a squib, sort of the impotent slash asexual wizarding group. That's a really good point. She really should have been portrayed as this badass woman who has chosen a life of quiet retirement. Harry should have flopped that Patronus, and right before he is given the death kiss, a horde of cat Patroni, Mrs. Figs, come to his rescue. Buh. So lame. Wow. That... That's my headcanon now. Yeah, it's so good. And I can't believe that we missed the opportunity to have a feminist take on Mrs. Fig. So Josh, thank you for leaning in here and sending us that email because you are totally right. And I really like the idea of squibs. You're right. There is a sort of impotence or like a kind of a sexual metaphor in there. So it would be amazing if Mrs. Fig was just this hand-picked bodyguard by Dumbledore. Yeah. Like super badass. She's like a fucking assassin. <laughs> um, yeah, that would have been way better. But, you know, even even with Mrs. Fig's like limited magical abilities, she is still like killing it in that chapter. So I guess she breeds these inte- these measles. We did look it up and uh yeah, measles are these super rad cats that you find in the Harry Potter universe. She's a cat breeder to make her living. Since she, I guess, can't otherwise work in the wizarding world. Also, we got another good tweet pointing out or suggesting that 
the sound that apparating makes is from the vacuum being filled by like matter, like pushing out. Sorry, I'm like messing with the scientific explanation. This is Alex's really good description of physics. Yeah. Anyway, it's physics. Yeah, the 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 whooshing in of like a person into like an empty space creates like a pop, right? Something like that. Uh, physicists, please weigh in. All right. All that being said, Alex, what happened this week? In this week's chapters, Harry is still really grumpy just about everything. He's lying on his bed and looking at the ceiling a lot because, you know, he might get expelled. He has two massive lumps on his head. Yeah, basically Harry is suffering from situational depression and he's really mean to Hedwig. So Vernon informs Harry that the family is going out. Don't touch any of our shit. Vernon leaves. Harry hears a crash downstairs and he thinks, is it burglars? It's not burglars. It's the Order of the Phoenix rolling deep to pick up Harry Potter. We meet Mad-Eye Moody for the first time. The real Mad-Eye Moody. Remus Lupin is there. Welcome back, Remus. Good to see one of the best characters. And a few newcomers, Nymphadora Tonks, who's an Auror, Kingsley Shacklebolt, another Auror, Daedalus Diggle, and a couple other people's names that I don't remember off the top of my head. Mad-Eye is still drinking from a hip flask and generally acting very paranoid. He's barking out instructions about flying in formation, or basically he's like, if any of us gets killed, like, keep flying, so... Mad-Eye is acting all hard. They're flying back to wherever it is they're trying to take Harry. Right, yeah. They're going to the Order of the Phoenix headquarters. Everybody takes off and flies over London through clouds and shit and gets extremely cold. Harry wishes he'd put on a coat. They get to 12 Grimald Place, which is the headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix. The Order of the Phoenix has set up lodgings in, like, the world's worst Airbnb, basically. (laughs) There are preserved heads of all the former building supers on the wall. Uh, And it's just generally very creepy. A lot of snake decor. So, seems like dark wizards uh, own this house. Bad location, bad ambiance. But you can't beat the price, which is free. Harry is reunited with Ron and Hermione, and he is promptly very rude to them. He wants to know, is it worth hashing out all Harry's various grievances? Probably not. He's mad that they've been hanging out and didn't defy Dumbledore to get him more information, and he's very upset. But Ron and Hermione are pretty understanding of uh, all this. They say they don't know much either because the Order of the Phoenix is very secretive. Uh, no kids allowed at the meetings. We learn what the Order of the Phoenix is. Oh yeah, that's an important fact. (laughs) It's the group of wizards who are fighting Voldemort. We also learn that the Daily Prophet has been kind of diminishing and making fun of Harry, just in little asides in various articles, making him seem like a crazy person, because the Daily Prophet doesn't recognize that Voldemort is back. And also that Minister of Magic Cornelius Fudge has been purging the Ministry of anyone connected with Dumbledore. So, that's troubling. And Percy Weasley now works for the Minister of Magic, and is estranged from his 
family because they are Dumbledore supporters and Percy supports the Ministry. He's now a junior assistant to the Minister. Fred and George have invented extendable ears to try to spy on Order of the Phoenix meetings. Uh, Snape is there. Snape is working for the Order, which everyone finds sort of suspicious, at least among the kids. And the house is super creepy. There is a portrait that... Oh, you can't be too loud because you'll piss off this portrait which, like, screams racist shit. And the portrait, it turns out, is Sirius's mother. So it's Sirius Black's house. And that's what happened in this week's chapters. Yeah. Sort of disjointed. But I mean, it's kind of just like a, it's very exposition heavy couple of chapters. We have this like one batshit crazy plan to get Harry out of Little Whinging. And then after that, it's pretty much all exposition. So let's talk about this batshit crazy plan. So a whole bunch of wizards, like more than a half dozen wizards show up to pick up Harry, led by Mad-Eye Moody. And they have to like take him on this wild broom chase, basically, in the skies over London to get him to Grimald Place because they think that the Ministry and or Voldemort supporters are watching the flu network, so they can't go via fireplace. Apparently it's really expensive to set up a port key, an unauthorized port key, so I guess you would have to pay somebody off. Is and it expensive or is it dangerous or is it both? No, he said it would cost more than like our life's worth to set up an unauthorized port key. I know, but I think they mean cost as in like... No, I think it's like I think it's like financially expensive to set up a port key. Oh, okay. Unauthorized without the ministry. So you'd have to like pay kickbacks and stuff like that. Clearly it can't be that expensive to set up a port key because they set up a whole bunch for the World Cup. Or maybe it is and they were just going all out. But setting up one without permission must be, like, pricey or difficult. I mean, the moral of the story is what we've been talking about at the beginning of all of these books. Because there's always some new wizarding infrastructure. And as we have laid out for you all, none of it fucking works. The only (laughs) way that they can, like, get this incredibly precious cargo, like, not that far, like, from the suburbs to the center of the city, is in what seems like the least efficient and most dangerous and most likely to be seen way, which is literal flying. On brooms. Like, if, I I just don't, how is that safer? Just take the London Overground, man. I know. It comes, like, every 20 minutes. Honestly, take muggle transportation. (laughs) This is a crazy plan. It seems like they're so likely to be seen. There's been so much buildup over the past few books of how, like, you super duper can't, like, fly over, like, muggle populated areas because, like, you will be fucking seen. They have this, like, hiding, what's it called? The charm. Disillusionment charm. They have this disillusionment charm. Harry's disillusioned enough when these books begin. <laughs> Very good. Overall, this is just such a Mad-Eye plot. It's, like, so convoluted. It's just, it's a, it's not even Mad-Eye plot. It's a wizardy, it's just, it's so wizard. And like the, but it's very mad eye because like the level of paranoia displayed and the way the paranoia is like totally warping what is like logical and like will work. I mean, mad eye has good reasons to be paranoid. He was like held captive in a trunk for like nine months. Okay, that's another thing I've been thinking about. If mad eye is this good an aura, if you were the rest of the Order of the Phoenix, wouldn't you be a little wary of mad eye's judgment right now? You would be like, dude, you got fucking pwned. <laughs> like, really fucking recently. Like, maybe your plans aren't good because your most recent, like, endeavor was to get kidnapped in a trunk for nine months. Maybe, I'm trying to think of how this plan makes sense. 
I was under the impression that a grown wizard can apparate with a younger wizard. Doesn't yeah. that happen in book six? Doesn't Dumbledore... Yeah, they can co-apparate. Yeah, gra- Dumbledore like grabs hold of Harry and they apparate. Or maybe it's really difficult maybe to bring someone with you. Maybe you have to be a really you. powerful wizard. But it happens in Fantastic Beasts. Does it? Yeah. Okay, so... Newt, Newt and whatever the, the muggle also, dude's like name. there's like nine of them and one of him. Like, right, why can't all of them together, like lay hands on Harry and apparate him back. So maybe they don't want to take muggle transportation because if Harry gets jumped on the street by Death Eaters or Ministry agents or whoever they're trying to avoid, they want to not cause a scene like that? Well, the other thing that is, okay, it's going to not cause a scene if there's a death ray battle in the air. (laughs) In what universe is that less of a scene? I mean, the real reason is Harry hasn't been allowed to use magic We've been at the Dursleys for two chapters. This is an amazing excuse to introduce us to a bunch of interesting new wizards and put Harry on a broom. That's true. And actually, when Harry takes off on the broom, it's like the most pleasant the book has been yet. Yeah, and he's feeling okay again. Yeah. Because he was born to fly, baby. Uh, okay. I mean, you're right. It's a a plot device. Harry believes he can fly. He believes he can touch the sky. Oh my god, Alex. He thinks about it every night and day. Uh, yeah. This is terrible, but you're right. (laughs) By the way, apologies once again for now both of our voices. We have both managed now to have terrible colds. So, so. yeah, it's a very phlegmy podcast. Um, hopefully it's not phlegmy. I think we just both sound stuffed up. Oh well. Anyway, so you're right. This is also a really good excuse to meet some people. First of all, we actually encounter Mad-Eye, the real one. And does our complaint hold up? I think it does. He is exactly the same. He's even drinking from a hip flask. Yeah. Maybe an ironclad rule would be no more hip flask, Mad-Eye. Yeah, but I mean, now he's more paranoid than ever about like (laughs) literally everything. So yeah, he's very much the same. He's also kind of a dick. If anything, he's like less pleasant than the fake Mad-Eye Moody. Because the fake Mad-Eye was kind of madcap hilarious. Yeah, and also like trying to ingratiate himself with Harry. And this Mad-Eye doesn't give a fuck whether or not Harry likes him. He's just keeping him safe. Mad-Eye's just no nonsense. No, he's like rude. For example, Harry is like really reasonably like asking all these questions. He's like, where, what's going on? Like, where's Voldemort? And Mad-Eye goes, shut up! Which is a very rude thing to say to Harry. Yeah. He's rude. He's like, we're not talking about any of that here. And Harry's like, bro, you have to fucking tell me something. Like, (laughs) this has been insane. I am in a total blackout. Somebody has to tell me what the fuck is going on. And Mad-Eye is just like, constant vigilance. Also, the side of your face is incredibly triggering for me because your body double tried to murder me last year. Right. Which, of course, there's like no fucking acknowledgement of. Mad-Eye is not like, by the way, sorry I got fucking owned by, what's his face? Barty Crouch Jr., who... Where is he? They, like, don't even name him. Yeah, he's where just the like, fuck is he? He's just like, he's referenced as Voldemort supporter. Yeah. Like, number two or oh whatever. God. It's like the Trump administration where, like, all of these, like, incredibly important players are now like, oh, I didn't even know George Papadopoulos. Oh, I don't know who the fuck that guy is. <laughs> um, Yeah, you fucking do. But, I don't know. Barty Jr., whatever. Oh, Mad-Eye's still so cool, though. His eye is, like, just as lit yeah. as ever. I mean, Mad-Eye's, like, really badass, but he's very rude. Oh, well. I'm glad to see Lupin back. 
Uh, One of my faves. Yeah. Lupin is also just so gentle hearted and like actually fucking nice to Harry. And he's like, don't worry. Like, we're going to get you out of here and we're going to tell you what's going on. And Mad-Eye Moody is like, shut up. Moody's like, how do we know this is the real Harry Potter? Which, good question, Mad-Eye. How do we know it's the real you, asshole? (laughs) I guess Um, that is from experience. But then Lupin says, what form does your Patronus take, Harry? And Harry says a stag. And and Lupin's like, see, this has to be the real Harry. Hasn't everyone seen this Patronus? Like, whoever sicked the Dementors on Harry knows knows that a stag came out. This is bad password protection. It is. You never use an actual answer on the... On the authentication question, right? On the security question. You never use, like, your mother's actual maiden name. Because anyone can just look that up. This is bad security. We also meet Nymphadora Tonks. She prefers to go by Tonks, because... Nymphadora is an insane name. <laughs> um, I love Tonks. I had forgotten how great Tonks is. It's really refreshing to have an adult female wizard who isn't a mother. We have some professors... But, like, Tonks is just, like... But they're sort of, like, confirmed bachelorettes. Well, they're just, like, they're kind of... Spinsters. Mother, yeah, A, spinsters, and B, like, kind of mother figures. It's nice to have, like, a young adult woman who is, like, out here in a man's world being a badass or-or. I don't know. It's just, like, really refreshing to have a, a character like Tonks and... She's really cool. She's a whatchamacallit. A metamorph magus. She's a metamorph magus. Um, which means she can change her appearance at will without a potion or a wand. Which is like, A, very good for being an auror, but B, means that she has like killer fashion. I don't know. She's just like one of these like cool girls with pink hair these days. I think it's Violet when we first meet her. She changes it to pink. Ah, yes. Which is cool. You know, I don't think purple's really my color. She said pensively, tugging at a lock of spiky hair. Do you think it makes me look a bit peaky? Uh, said Harry, looking up at her over the top of Quidditch teams of Britain and Ireland. Yeah, it does, said Tonks decisively. She screwed up her eyes in a strained expression as though she was struggling to remember something. A second later, her hair had turned bubblegum pink. How did you do that? said Harry, gaping at her as she opened her eyes again. I'm a metamorph magus, she said, looking back at her reflection and turning her head so that she could see her hair from all directions. It means I can change my appearance at will, she added, spotting Harry's puzzled expression in the mirror behind her. I was born one. I got top marks in concealment and disguise during auror training without any study at all. It was great. You're an auror, said Harry, impressed. Being a dark wizard catcher was the only career he'd ever considered after Hogwarts. Yeah, said Tonks, looking proud. Kingsley is as well. He's a bit higher up than I am, though. I only qualified a year ago. Nearly failed on stealth and tracking. I'm dead clumsy. Did you hear me break that plate when we arrived downstairs? It is annoying to me that she's clumsy. Because that's just, like, such a cliche, like, female, quote-unquote, like, flaw in books. I guess the point is to make her relatable. I know, but like, that's what they always pick. They're like, oh, she's like perfect and beautiful and like doesn't know she's cute and like she falls down a lot. 
like it's such a rom-com thing that I'm like kind of annoyed at JK for choosing that as Tonks's like fatal flaw or whatever. It's very Twilight actually. Like obviously Harry Potter came before Twilight, but like Bella's whole thing is that she like falls down a lot. <laughs> which is just like not an actual fucking character flaw. Right. Like Tonks like makes a lot of noise. She doesn't buy into Mad Eye Moody's like whole shtick. That's how we know she's good. Yeah. Because Mad Eye wouldn't put up with it. No, it's true. That's how we know she's a good Auror, because Mad Eye would just be like, get out of my fucking face if she wasn't incredible at her job. So that's cool. <laughs> but she's also just like, she's really good comic relief in this scene, which is like a pretty dour scene. Like this whole book so far has been really dour, which I get that like really serious things are happening. But there's such a vast tonal shift from the first couple of books that you really desperately need Tonks to like enter the scene and like provide a little bit of levity. So she's a delight. I'm very happy she's here. It's just, I wish she wasn't clumsy. It's like she's... such a Catherine Heigl thing. <laughs> like just, oh, I fell over. Like that must mean that I'm like not perfect. She's like that. <laughs> she's also bad at householdy spells. But we've got to get going, Harry. We're supposed to be packing. She added guiltily, looking around at all the mess on the floor. Oh, yeah, said Harry, grabbing up a few more books. Don't be stupid. It'll be much quicker if I... Pack! cried Tonks, waving her wand in a long sweeping movement over the floor. Books, clothes, telescope and scales all soared into the air and flew pell-mell into the trunk. It's not very neat, said Tonks, walking over to the trunk and looking down at the jumble inside. My mum's got this knack of getting stuff to fit itself in neatly. She even gets the socks to fold themselves, but I've never mastered how she does it. It's a kind of flick. She flicked her wand, hopefully. One of Harry's socks gave a feeble sort of wiggle and flopped back on top of the mess within. Ah, oh, well, said Tonks, slamming the trunk's lid shut. At least it's all in. That could do with a bit of cleaning, too. Scourgeify! She pointed her wand at Hedwig's cage. A few feathers and droppings vanished. Well, that's a bit better. I've never quite got the hang of these sort of householdy spells. Oh, like yeah cleaning spells and other cooking spells these sort of domestic I have charms so many questions about how those kinds of spells work right because there's this whole much like the muggle world there's this whole publishing industry around like how to improve your like cheese making charms and other like mess removal charms and you know there's basically Martha Stewart spells. But like, okay, even beyond that, like more basic than that, there's this really funny scene. It's very vintage J.K. Rowling where like one of the witches is in the kitchen just like cracking up a, a potato peeler. She loves to have these little scenes where like the muggle world and the wizarding world meet and wizards are just like, what the fuck are muggles on about? But here's my question. How come a potato can peel itself but not cook itself? Because they have, like, cooking pots. Right. Like, Mrs. Weasley is always, like, stirring something in a big cauldron. So, like, if a potato can, like, self-peel, like, why can't <laughs> it self-cook? I I have no idea. Uh, it's just there's, like, so many logical inconsistencies, specifically with, like, wizards and food. Richard and I, in the infamous Pokemon episode... <laughs> yeah, which a lot of you hated, and we heard and you. And some of you really liked. <laughs> episodes and episodes and episodes ago, Richard and I discussed nutrition in the wizarding world, and you would think that they'd be post-scarcity, 
why does it matter if the Weasleys are poor? Couldn't they just engorge like a steak to feed everyone? Like you go like, like months. yeah, go buy like a muggle potato and just make it larger. Well, or and then like, you have infinite potatoes or whatever. One I, one potato grown to like the size of a house must still have the nutritional contents of a regular sized potato. Well, I also don't understand. Like we never see them go to any kind of food market. Like, I don't know where they get their food. I don't know how they, like, I don't understand cooking spells. I think they referred to Mrs. Weasley as grocery shopping in the past. Okay, maybe. Well, I don't. That'd be a boring scene. I know, but I mean, like, there's no, like, there's no, like, grocery store in Diagon Alley that we've seen. Yeah. It's just, like. I I don't know. It also seems like they do a lot of housework. Yeah. They think muggle labor-saving appliances are really hysterical and weird, but Mrs. Weasley constantly seems to be managing the kitchen. You'd think that being able to use magic would completely eliminate most of the household labor you have to do if you could just, like, set your dishes to clean. Well, okay, so there's also just this, like, element of like kind of the history of feminism here that's really confusing to me because like the beginning of like a wave of the feminist movement like came from labor-saving devices and like women's ability to like spend time doing something other than cooking and cleaning that has a lot to do with like why the lives of housewives like opened up and gave them time to do things like fucking revolt against being housewives so like the wizarding world has all of this access to like labor-saving spells essentially and yet like most of the women we meet especially most of the mothers we 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 meet are fucking homemakers right yeah you would think that it would be an incredibly egalitarian like non-patriarchal society but yet it seems to be even more so than the muggle world like very 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 few female wizards seem to work outside the home like, that we Tonks meet. is one of the only ones that we meet. Like I said, other than the professors, and the professors, like, do sort of, like, this is, like, their whole life. Like, they live in the castle. Like, they're not family people. Like, they're not mothers or wives or anything. So they're, like, nuns, kind of. I, I don't know. I just don't understand why there's this, like, massive housewife culture in a society where, like, presumably you don't have to do anything around the house. Like, you just cast spells. I guess these maybe these spells take so much concentration and energy to pull off that you really do need someone that's like, like solely devoted to it. Because, you know, that's what Tonk says. She's not good at the householdy spells. Her packing spells are terrible. They seem really challenging and that's... yet looked down on because they're not like crazy dueling spells. Yeah. So similar to... It's just annoying that wizards have the patriarchy. Like, you have so many things that could, like, (laughs) keep you out of this, like, fucked up, like, hierarchy. Also, it seems like a dishwasher is just as good as a dishwashing spell in this case. Maybe better. It probably takes less effort to load the dishwasher than to cast a dishwashing charm. Than to, like, get into, like, like, the state of concentration that's required to (laughs) cast a dishwashing spell. I don't know. It's really strange. I know. And I know this is like a crazy tangent because like we barely see, we don't really see that in this chapter. Like Mrs. Weasley's kind of cooking, but we just like had this realization that it, these, these spells are really, really bizarre. 
speaking of magical like objects that are really bizarre i don't fucking understand the deal with the put outer so mad eye's got the put outer that he's borrowed from dumbledore famously from the beginning of sorcerer's stone when he turns all the lights out on privet drive with it mad eye also uses it to make it really dark on grimald place it seems to be really rare it's such a boring magical object, and yet it seems like Dumbledore has, like, the only one. It just makes things dark? I don't know. It doesn't even make you invisible. It no, just turns the it lights just turns off. turns the lights off. Clearly, Rowling is in love with this thing, though. I know. This thing, like, it plays an incredibly major role in Book 7, and it's just, she's, like, obsessed with the put-outer. <laughs> and I just don't understand what the fixation is on this, like, pretty boring magical object. I, I, I don't know. So we go to Grimmauld Place, number 12 Grimmauld Place to be exact. Right. I really like this location. It's not what you would expect for the headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix. It's surprising. It's like, it's truly creepy with all the serpent decor and the lamp that's like a severed troll's leg. It's an umbrella stand. An umbrella stand that's a severed troll's leg and the heads of the, the preserved heads of the previous house elves on the wall. And I love the line, so Mrs. Weasley, of course, has been charged with, like, decontaminating this place, which has been abandoned for, like, however many years. And everyone is being very quiet because Mrs. Weasley says they don't want to wake anything up. Yeah, I know. It's really scary. Okay, this is my big quibble with Grimmauld Place. I actually totally agree with you. I think it's an awesome setting for, like, these scenes. It's creepy and funny and it gives you a window into a really important character and like it does a lot of character development for Sirius like it carries a pretty heavy load of like learning more about Sirius's past the portrait of the mom is like fucking inspired if you'll just tiptoe across the hall it's through this door here crash tonks cried Mrs. Weasley exasperatedly turning to look behind her I'm sorry wailed Tonks, who was lying flat on the floor. It's that stupid umbrella stand. That's the second time I've tripped over. But the rest of her words were drowned by a horrible, ear-splitting, blood-curdling screech. The moth-eaten velvet curtains Harry had passed earlier had flown apart, but there was no door behind them. For a split second, Harry thought he was looking through a window, a window behind which an old woman in a black cap was screaming and screaming as though she was being tortured, Then he realized it was simply a life-size portrait, but the most realistic and the most unpleasant he had ever seen in his life. The old woman was drooling, her eyes were rolling, the yellowing skin of her face stretched taut as she screamed, and all along the hall behind them the other portraits awoke and began to yell too, so that Harry actually screwed up his eyes at the noise and clapped his hands over his ears. Lupin and Mrs. Weasley darted forward and tried to tug the curtains shut over the old woman, but they would not close, and she screeched louder than ever, brandishing clawed hands as though trying to tear at their faces. Filth, scum, byproducts of dirt and vileness, half-breeds, mutants, freaks, be gone from this place! How dare you befoul the house of my fathers! It's such a good setting. Yeah, what if your terrible relatives could just yell at you for all of eternity? Oh my god, I know. <laughs> like, your mom could criticize you literally forever. <laughs> um, I love you, mom. But this is what I don't understand. Okay, the Blacks are like one of the oldest and richest wizarding families. Why the fuck do they live in a dingy flat in a bad neighborhood? Like, I don't understand why this is the Blacks' home. Maybe 
it's to keep it a secret. Yeah, but, like, every other, like, fancy wizarding family we've heard about has, like, a literal mansion. Uh, London rents are high, right? It's, like, presumably... Presumably they don't rent. That's true. Like, who are they renting from? (laughs) No, it doesn't make any sense that the, the noble and most... Or the ancient and most noble House of Black or whatever is in this, like, shitty central London neighborhood and, like, in, like, a dark, dingy, drafty flat. Well, maybe it used to be nicer. But why don't they have a standalone house? Like, why do they live in an apartment? I don't know. The prime minister has a flat. I know, but that's a muggle. Like, I just... Everything we've been given to understand about wizard wealth is Jay-Z has an apartment. Okay, that's fair. Well, and Beyonce. But really, like, you understand what I'm saying. Like, you, when you think about the Malfoy property, or when you think about, like, the Riddle house, or all of these, and I know that's, like, old muggle money, but that's still, like, you have this, like, incredibly creepy mansion setting for, like, Lord Voldemort to have come out of. It doesn't make any sense to me that the Blacks would live in, like, a shitty apartment. I don't think this is a... I, I, I disagree. I think that it's total nonsense. I think it doesn't make any sense as a, like, I love it as a setting... But, it's more like a townhouse. But in a bad neighborhood. Well, the where, neighborhood like, does, they don't care what the muggle neighborhood is like. I guess. I just, it seems ugly and sad and lame and dark. And I don't understand why an incredibly wealthy family. Maybe it used to be a really nice neighborhood that went downhill. Okay. Fair enough. As did the fortunes of the black family. Yeah, that's true. You know, they're all money, but they might... Sometimes, like, a high-status family doesn't actually have that much, like, liquid capital, as we learn in various 19th-century English novels. That's fair. Okay. That makes a little more sense to me. I just, this is an ancient wizarding family. It's literally, like, the next chapter is the noble and most ancient House of Black. Why is this their house? I I don't, it truly doesn't make any sense to me. I don't get why there isn't a Black mansion somewhere. Maybe there is. Maybe this is, like, where Mrs. Black had to move when she basically, like, became a pauper after her family, like, fell apart or whatever. I don't know. I think it doesn't make a ton of sense. So, let's just briefly talk about the reunion of the Golden Trio. Harry, Ron, and Hermione. It's not a very golden reunion. No. Harry is really mean to everyone. He's so right! Yeah, but, and... And wrong. Okay. And Ron and Hermione acknowledge Harry's legitimate grievances. They're really patient with him, I think. They actually really are. Hermione in particular, like, does a lot of emotional labor in this scene. Um, It's, like, pretty baller of Hedwig to have, like, really hurt them. Like, I mean, (laughs) it's, whatever, violence is not the answer. But Harry is, like, peck them to bits until they write me a letter. And she's like, yeah, I'm on it. Doing it, boss. (laughs) And she really does. Ron has, like, an unhealed, like, fairly deep cut that Hedwig gave him. Dude, and I'm just like, you go, girl. Owls will fuck you up. Of course they will. They're fucking birds of prey. I mean, we learned this from watching a documentary on Netflix called, what was it? Owl Power, I think. <laughs> called Owl Power. But the way owls, like, actually kill their prey is by, like, stomping on them from, like, like basically they like, swoop down from the air and, like, crush them on the ground with their talons. Like, owls are hard as fuck. So that's what we do on our Saturday nights. Yeah, we watched a documentary called Owl Power. It was really cool. It was great. I learned a lot. People are, like, into planet Earth and stuff. That's not that dorky. (laughs) 
By the way, the new Planet Earth is amazing. On Netflix now. So you're right that Ron and Hermione like deal with it pretty well. I feel really, really bad for them in this scene. But I also feel really bad for Harry because like his emotions are just like totally out of control. And that's like a hard feeling. Someone we don't meet is Percy. We're reunited with all the Weasleys sans Percy because Percy has had Percy's persona non grata. He went completely berserk. He said, well, he said loads of terrible stuff. He said he's been having to struggle against Dad's lousy reputation ever since he joined the ministry and that Dad's got no ambition and that's why we've always been, you know, not had a lot of money. I mean, what? said Harry in disbelief as Ginny made a noise like an angry cat. I know, said Ron in a low voice, and it got worse. He said Dad was an idiot to run around with Dumbledore, that Dumbledore was heading for big trouble and Dad was going to go down with him and that he, Percy, knew where his loyalty lay and it was with the Ministry. And if Mum and Dad were going to become traitors to the Ministry, he was going to make sure everyone knew he didn't belong to our family anymore. And he packed his bags the same night and left. He's living here in London now. Harry swore under his breath. He'd always liked Percy, least of Ron's brothers, but he had never imagined he would say such things to Mr. Weasley. Mum's been in a right state, said Ron Dolly. You know, crying and stuff. She came up to London to try and talk to Percy, but he slammed the door in her face. I don't know what he does if he meets Dad at work. Ignores him, I suppose. This is so sad. This is, like, among the sadder things to happen in the Weasley family. I mean, obviously there's, like, a very notable sadder thing, but, like, Mrs. Weasley's nightmare is for her family to, like, disintegrate in some way. And the things Percy says to Mr. Weasley are just so vicious. And it's also like, it's just great because you can totally imagine this fight happening. Yes. Like, it's so real. We've always known Percy was a piece of shit. And it's nice that like, not nice, but it's like, I think it's really effective to like, have his kind of like, pompous, like, obnoxiousness grow into like, a real nasty person. Right. Until now, it's always been sort of played for laughs. And I like that Rowling gives it real teeth. Oh, yeah. In this book. Um, it's so believable. It's so upsetting. You just like really cringe like hearing about that argument. Another reason it's so believable is Ron and Percy have a lot of the same grievances in life. They both really feel held back by being a Weasley, basically. Yeah. And Ron, I think, feels more guilt about that. Mm-hmm. Like, Percy is so nakedly ambitious that he doesn't really have any qualms with feeling held back. But I think you're right that Ron has those same emotions. And to some extent, like, part of the reason he hates Percy so much is because he feels a lot of guilt for, like, relating to Percy. Uh, I think mm, I think that's a good observation. Fred and George feel much more at ease with who they are. Right. And Fred and George also, like, know they're, like, so self-made. I love Ron, but, like, the, prob- the thing that Ron and Percy also kind of have in common is they don't actually have the, like, intellect or personal wherewithal to, like, way rise above their circumstances. Like, the way Ron is going to rise above his circumstances is by marrying super, super, super intelligently. <laughs> like, Ron becomes, like, the first gentleman of the wizarding world. No, Ron is brave as fuck. That's uh, You're right. One- Ron is incredibly brave. Ron is incredibly loyal. But, like, Ron on his own without the influence of, like, Hermione in particular, like, he's just, he's not 
self-made the way yeah. the twins are. He's the second worst Weasley, kind of. The difference between Ron and Percy is Ron does not go down this path. He almost does at yeah. various points. He does. He, he gets becomes... really close. But, you know, we don't know much about Percy's personal life besides whatever he does with Penelope Clearwater. But Ron is really grounded in two really solid friendships. One that becomes more than a friendship. Right. You in know, a way that Harry Percy keeps... isn't. Ron and Harry keep each other rooted, I they think. They do. And Hermione just, like, manages everybody's feelings eternally. Right. But Ron and Harry's love for each other, like, keeps them from going... Really dark places. Like, bad, bad places. Because yeah. they always bring it back they for do. each other. They do. No, you know? you're totally right And that's right a really... That. They have, like, a really nice friendship in these books. But I do think that the comparison between Ron and Percy is, like, shame at, like, where they come from is, like, really apt. And I think that Ron, one of, you're right, the thing that's, like, most admirable about Ron is he, like, doesn't give in to that. Like, he's, like, he loves his family. He's, like, brave and loyal and, like, of, like, stout heart. So he, like, makes this incredible, like, he makes this life for himself and he, like, makes, like, mostly really good choices where Percy makes mostly really bad choices. But I do think that Ron understands Percy's, like, shame. And at the same time feels incredible, like, he feels really protective of his father. They all do. But I think part of the reason they all feel so protective of their father is because, like, Percy's, like, not all the way wrong about Mr. Weasley's, like, lack of ambition. I don't know if it's his lack of ambition so much as his, like, political beliefs. Yeah. You know, basically, Arthur's way too radical to rise above where he is in the ministry. You're right. I'm and I'm I'm un- wrong and you're right. Under, like... Well, I mean, at first we think that, but we, I think we, the more we get to know Arthur, like, the more we understand that yeah. it really is because Arthur he, he's is advocating, also, like, radical acceptance for, right. like, muggles. Arthur is one of the best people in the books. I think so, like, too. Like, Arthur is one of the most moral and upstanding and just, like, right-living humans that we meet in these books. Although... His getting Mad-Eye off on a lesser charge, his blatant corruption enables... <laughs> but I mean, that's part of the culture that he no, just, like, exists in. Like, that's just their... His blatant corruption allows Barty Crouch Jr. to infiltrate Hogwarts. Yeah, but, I mean, he doesn't do that on purpose, obviously. Right. And he's aided and abetted by Amos Diggory. But anyway, yeah, Arthur's one of the best people in these books, and so is Mrs. Weasley. And yeah, you really feel for Mrs. Weasley, who wants the best for Percy. She does, and she keeps wanting the best for mm-hmm. Percy. And her grief at this is like really devastating. Yeah, she really like, wants she the best. She can't stop crying for all her children. She and, treats them equally. And but at the same time, she's like fiercely loyal to her husband. Like they have a really beautiful marriage. Yeah. So like that conflict must just like tear her apart. Ouch. So Heather, who's your unsung hero um, for this episode? I think that I'm just going to try for the rest of the book to continue this trend of just all bird unsung heroes. <laughs> My unsung heroes, Hedwig, who just like gets it done for Harry. I talked about this earlier, but like she like super duper listens to his instructions to like basically peck them until they like can't be pecked anymore. And she's just a baller pet. And Harry is very lucky to have her. And she's like his only companion at various points in this book. And And he doesn't even clean out her cage. I know. Well, you know, Tonks like helps. He's bummed out. He's depressed. Yeah. Poor guy. Fucking Harry laying in his bed. Owl shit is like accumulating. Uh, Can't even get out of bed. Poor guy. Poor guy. But Hedwig like continues to keep it together for like the whole family. Um, also, LOL at Tonks t- 
telling the Dursleys that they'd won the best kept suburban lawn competition. Oh my god, that's <laughs> so funny. I can't believe we forgot to mention that. What yeah. an epic troll. Other like very specific unsung hero shout out to Tonks. It's such a good troll. My unsung hero is Daedalus Diggle, who we met in book one, bowing to Harry on the street. I think it's super nice that he kept up with the, he's in the Order of the Phoenix. It is nice. It's nice that, the, and Sturgis Podmore they meet too. Mm-hmm. And it's nice that they've got these like kind of geezers like fighting for them. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Right living foot soldiers of good. Right. Of the, of the resistance. You mentioned this last episode and you're so right that there's all these like really nice kind of like callbacks to book one. Like mm-hmm. Deadless Diggle being another one. Because you don't always think about book one that much. No. But it's really important. It is really important. It's, it's true. book one. <laughs> this week's episode is brought to you by Extendable Ears. Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the Order of the Phoenix's plans with Extendable Ears. That's also a bad rhyme. I don't know. I like it. Oh, well. It's better. Getting there. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. By J.K. Rowling. Please go on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and subscribe to this podcast so that you get it in your little feeds every week. And also, um, if you would be so kind as to rate us and leave a review, we read them all they are very kind and um you are lovely people they make us look legit they do yeah we would also love to interact with you various places on the internet you can email us at quibblerpodcast at gmail.com and as evidenced at the top of this show we read your emails sometimes we read them on episodes of the podcast you guys make incredible points and it's like always so fun to get your messages, your e-owls, as it were. We are also on social media, at Quibbler Podcast, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. So check us out those places. And let's talk about next week. We will be reading the chapters called The Order of the Phoenix and The Noble and Most Ancient House of Black. So that'll be fun, and we'll see you then. Thanks, amigos. Come here, boy, said Moody gruffly, beckoning Harry toward him with his wand. I need to disillusion you. You need to what? Hedwig's large, round, amber eyes gazed reproachfully at him over the dead frog clamped in her beak. Come here, said Harry, picking up the three small rolls of parchment and a leather thong and tying the scrolls to her scaly leg. Take these straight to Sirius, Ron, and Hermione, and don't come back here without good long replies. Keep pecking them till they've written decent-length answers if you've got to. Understand? Hedwig gave a muffled, hooting noise, beak still full of frog. Get going, then, said Harry. She took off immediately. To put this in perspective, the force of Hedwig's pounce is the equivalent of an eight-ton truck hitting a 170-pound man. It's unlikely her prey would survive the impact. You wouldn't want to be a vole, would you, now? No, no, no. Life as a vole would be brief. (laughs) 